Well, it's great to see you all in chapel this morning. Thank you for coming. I didn't know if I was going to have 20 people this morning or, or 15 or 20 or what, but I'm glad you're here. It means I don't have to preach to the walls, but thank you for uh, coming to chapel. One announcement. Uh, this is not a pleasant announcement, but I understand there's been some confusion. As you all know, we had a day of prayer uh, a week or so ago. You need to know that that took the place of your reading day. Okay? Maybe you already knew that. But I always had the privilege of making these wonderful announcements. So anyway, there's no reading day, okay? So maybe you'll take a couple of books home with you over Thanksgiving. No, I don't want you to do that. I want you to relax and have a great time with your families. Last October, when Clarence Thomas appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee the day after he had been accused of sexual harassment by Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas told that committee in very eloquent words that Maybe his career could be restored. Maybe he could go on in life. But the one thing that he had lost because of that particular episode was the fact that he had lost his good name. And what I want to talk to you about this morning has to do with that. The question I want to ask you this morning is simply this. What is in a life? What is in a life? One of the most important things about any person's life is integrity. You know, for the Christian, it's one thing to have your name slandered, but it's an entirely another thing to have your Lord and Savior and your God slandered because of your inconsistency in your own life. What I want to do today is I want to take you to a passage in the Old Testament that has meant a lot to me in the past seven or eight months. I have probably, I tend to, when I'm studying the Word of God, what I tend to do every year as I read through the Scriptures, there are certain passages that kind of stick in my mind, and I tend to spend more time studying those and meditating on those. And the passage that I've really done that with this particular year, really beginning in about June, that has really blessed my heart and also challenged my heart, is the book of Daniel. And I want you to turn to the book of Daniel because I want to talk to you this morning about a man whose life was characterized by integrity. A man whose life was characterized by integrity, none other than Daniel himself. Daniel begins in chapter 1, verse 1, saying, In the third year of the reign of, of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes." Now, the setting we have here before us is simply this. King Nebuchadnezzar begins to reign in 604 B.C., and he reigns in Babylon for some 42 years. At about this time in his life, he was probably around 30, 30 to 35 years of age, a strong, young, dynamic king. And as you know the story, the Babylonians besieged Judah and take the children of Israel into the 70 years of captivity. And Daniel was one of these young men 
that was chosen in verse 3 to be brought to the king's court. Now, it's very interesting initially to understand what is going on here in Daniel's life. And we see something about him in verse 4. Youths in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and gifted in knowledge and understanding science and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. I want to submit to you that the first thing that has to take place in a life of integrity is that that person must be faithful in preparation. Faithful in preparation. Now, what's fascinating about this is simply this. Daniel probably is 14 to 15 in terms of his age. He was a teenager at this time. Now, obviously, in terms of looking at his entire life, in terms of looking at his future, I'm sure that as Daniel was schooled in the palace of Jehoiakim, that he absolutely had no idea how his preparation would be later used in his life. Now, young people, let me tell you this. That's precisely where you are today. You absolutely have no idea how God is going to use the knowledge that you are acquiring right now in his future service. Daniel obviously had no idea. But the important thing was simply this, that as a young man, Daniel was faithful to his tasks. He was a faithful student. He had studied hard. Didn't know why, maybe. But Daniel was prepared. And I want to submit to you, first of all, that in the narrative here we see that Daniel was faithful in preparation. Now, it's fascinating as Daniel goes on and moves into the temple and moves into the palace life in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, that almost immediately, once again, he and his friends are confronted with a second issue. And I would like to submit to you, beginning in verse 8, secondly, that Daniel was not only faithful in his preparation, but Daniel, secondly, was also, he had purposed in his heart not to succumb to the culture where he found himself. He purposed in his heart not to succumb to the culture where he found himself. Look at, look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's food, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now once again, get the setting here. This is a, a, a young boy, a teenager. He's 15 years old. He's in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. And yet one of the most important things that he's concerned about is his obedience to his God. That he is not going to compromise what he has been taught from the Holy Scriptures. Now you need to see the impact of that as it relates to you today. You know, many times we are told that really young people have not reached that point yet where they can really have that kind of strength in their lives. But I want you to know that is not the case. And Daniel once again shows us that that is not the case. Now what was the problem here? Well, probably the food that Daniel and his friends were supposed to eat had been sacrificed to Babylonian idols. 
Okay? It had been idols that had been sacrificed, or it had been food that had been sacrificed to idols. And obviously, second, secondly, undoubtedly, it would have been a violation of Jewish dietary laws. But get the setting here. Here is this young man saying to the, the chief eunuch, the chief head of the palace, that he will not participate, that he will not defile himself with the king's food. Now, young people, listen to me. That was nothing more than an act of Daniel's will. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can also will to do the will of God. You are faced all the time with the pressure of being defiled by the culture in which you find yourself. It was amazing to turn on the television last night and watch the news and to see homosexuals at Venice High School right outside of the school grounds as students got off the bus handing these high school students condoms so that they, quote-unquote, could have safe sex if they decided to have sex. What is the culture telling us? The, culture, the message of the culture today in this particular arena is that the issue is not whether or not to have sex. The issue is the mode or the form in which you have it. Basically, what the culture tells us today is that this is a proper exercise as it relates to interpersonal relationships. That is blasted completely across the media today. And the under, also, the underlying thing here is simply this. That that simply means is that people are not responsible or try to take insurance so that they will not be responsible for their behavior. Our culture tells us that somebody else is always responsible for what happens, that we no longer take individual responsibility and are no longer accountable for our actions. And the challenge for you today as a Christian young person at the Master's College is to simply say... By the will of God, you are not going to defile yourself or to allow this culture to drag you down. That's precisely what Daniel did in this passage. Now, Daniel was pretty wise here as well. And so Daniel once again went to the, went to the chiefs of the palace and simply said, will you give us a different diet? And we will show you that we will be in better shape if we have a particular diet. And so that's precisely what happened. And look what happened then down in verse 15 of chapter 1. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the youths who did eat the portion of the king's food. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their food and the wine that they should drink and gave them vegetables. Look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You see what happens when you're faithful to God's calling and when you're faithful in obedience, then God will give you the strength not only to endure, but to also, but, but to also allow you to move ahead in your own Christian life. And that's precisely what happens to these four men in verse 17. Now, the story really begins to get interesting in chapter 2. So far, we've seen that Daniel was faithful in his preparation, and secondly, that Daniel was obedient. 
Now, in chapter 2, you all know the scenario here. Now, put yourself in the place of Daniel and his friends and also maybe in the place of the astrologers and the sorcerers. Now, this isn't the kind of thing that happened to Pharaoh. Remember what happened to Pharaoh? Pharaoh had a dream. Joseph came in. None of the, none of the Egyptian priests could interpret it, but at least Pharaoh knew what he'd, what he'd dreamed. But Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even remember what he dreamed. All he remembered was that he had a dream, and therefore he wanted his own uh, priest to interpret the dream. And he said, listen, if you guys don't interpret this dream, you're history. I don't need inefficient priests around. If you can't tell me what I dreamed, I'll get a new batch of priests. And so once again, and Daniel and his friends were put into this group. And so the challenge was then for somebody to come forward to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream or vision in chapter 2. Now look, look what he says in verse 9 even about his priest. This kind of shows you some insight that this dynamic king had even about his own advisors. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time is changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me its interpretation. And so in verse 13, the decree goes forth. Now Daniel, now remember once again, he's very young here. You've got to kind of feel this thing. This is not a peer going against a peer. This is a, this is a young lad going to have a discussion eventually with this dynamic king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, at this point, Daniel needs some time. And so in verse 14, he appeals once again to Arioch, who was the captain of the king's guard. And then what, what Daniel does, we see in verse 16, he gets together with his friends. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went into his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Now watch verse 18. That they would desire mercies of the God in heaven concerning the secret, that Daniel and his followers should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So what did Daniel do? Daniel realized the importance of this particular issue. And so he and his three friends went before God and earnestly prayed for an answer. Now look what happens in verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Now watch this. This, folks, is the key verse of all of the book of Daniel. And this will crop up over and over again in, in Daniel's relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 21. Now this is an unbelievable thought that God gives Daniel at this time. And he changeth, that is God, changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to those who know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and in the light, and the light dwelleth with him. Here's Daniel again. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Point number three about a life of integrity. Okay? Daniel was thankful. All of a sudden, you see, as a young man, God gives him the power to interpret this vision. 
Now, normally what happens when we're riding high in life and when things are really going well and when we think we're in total control, usually the last thing we are is thankful. But you see, that wasn't true in Daniel's life. The first thing that Daniel did after the vision was revealed to him was to thank God and to praise Him. This is the week of Thanksgiving. A lot of you are going to be going home this afternoon. I would trust that you would really use this time with your parents to really give them an example of a thankful heart. You know, many of you would not be here today if your parents had not sacrificed for you to be here. It's been very costly for some of them. For your, some of your parents, you haven't seen them in maybe two or three months. You know, the tendency so often is to go home and, and to kind of show off. I did that as a sophomore. I can remember when I went home one summer and my, my pastor came over to the house and I felt that it was my unique duty to show him all that I had learned in college and to really straighten him out theologically. No, no, no. That's not what your parents need to hear tomorrow. They need to see a thankful son or daughter. Hey, I know you're going home. You want to rest. Go out of your way to do something special for them. Hey, guys, maybe, you know, take the garbage out. Wash the car. I mean, you're going to make enough of a mess, right, when you eat? Okay, be, be helpful, all right? My point simply is, go home with an attitude of thankfulness. Thankful to God for what He has done here in your life over these past three months, months, and then also a thankfulness to your parents for what they have done for you as well. Daniel was thankful. He was prepared. He was obedient. He was thankful. Now look what else he does in verse 28 of chapter 2. But there is a God in heaven who revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. It's very interesting. When Daniel moves into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, he immediately gives God the credit. You see that? He immediately gives God the credit. He doesn't take credit for interpreting this vision. He gives God the credit. And you're going to see why as this story unfolds this morning. Now, you all know what the dream was. The dream was of the great image, the head of, the head of gold and the rest of it. And the important thing for us is simply to see this, that as the vision unfolds, Daniel down in verse 37 tells Nebuchadnezzar how he fits into this image. Look in verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee. Now watch this. Remember back what was revealed to Daniel in verse 21 of chapter 2. What did it say? That God removes kings and sets up kings. All right? Now look at verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven... See what Daniel is saying here? Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar for the, for, for the first time, I'm sure he's never heard this before, that he is not ruling simply out of his own power or simply because he's the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He is ruling because the God of heaven 
has given him a kingdom and power and strength and glory. I'm sure that's the first time Daniel ever, or Nebuchadnezzar, ever heard that message. That he wasn't there because of his own strength and his own ingenuity and his own power. The only reason he was on the he was the king of Babylon was because God Almighty had put him on the throne. Look at verse 38. And whatever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the heaven, that he that he given that that heavens hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all, thou art the head of gold. Uh, young people, let me say this right here. I honestly believe from this text that Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest of all Gentile rulers. I believe he was the greatest of all Gentile rulers. Thus, the head of gold. It's interesting in verse 37 that Daniel says, O king, you are a king of kings. He's just not a normal king. This is a mighty king mighty king. Well, let's move ahead. It's interesting what happens now because of Daniel's faithfulness. Look in verse 46. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face. Now watch this. See, you got you to remember here. This man is not a monotheist. You know what a monotheist is? A worshiper of one God. This man is a polytheist. Now all of a sudden, Daniel is giving him all these facts that he's reigning because of the power of God. But obviously in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, what in the world? Which God? Who's God? What's going on here? Look at verse 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, notice who he worships, and worshiped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth, it is that your God is the God of gods. Well, at least now, because of Daniel's testimony, God Jehovah is now one of the pantheon of gods. At least now Nebuchadnezzar is putting Daniel's gods with the rest of his gods. Of a truth it is that your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Here's my point. Listen, young people. That's what happens in, in, in a lifestyle of integrity. Many times, conversions do not take place immediately. But because of the consistency of your life, because of the consistency and integrity of a life of a believer, the seed is planted. And as that relationship continues to develop over many, many years, eventually, not only is the seed sown, but the fruit is reaped. This is the sowing of the seed in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And this is why it is so important that Daniel's integrity continue throughout the rest of the relationship between these two men. Well, real quick, chapter 3. Now, it's really interesting that Daniel is not in chapter 3, but you all know the story. And we see what happens in verse 3, and you really understand why this would happen. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. Now, why do you think Nebuchadnezzar the king would go out and make an image of gold? Because he's just been told by Daniel what? That he is 
the head of gold, that he's the king of that he is the king above all kings. Well, what more logical thing for a pagan king to do than go out and construct this big, huge monument to himself? Logical, since he's the head of gold. Why not let's have this big, huge monument? Now, here's what's fascinating. The question is always asked, and I don't have the answer, but it's great to speculate. What happened to Daniel in chapter 3? Obviously, Daniel would have never gone out and worshipped this huge image. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not worship the image, and we see what happened to them. But the issue is, maybe the question is, where in the world was Daniel? Well, I've talked to a couple of Bible profs on this campus to get some real information on this. And we don't really know, but let me give you one piece of speculation. I think this is precisely what happened. I mean, I can't think of a better, I can't think of a better issue. Some people say, well, he was out of town on a trip. You know, he'd gotten on his camel and gone someplace because by this time he was probably uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chief advisor. Well, I don't really buy that. I really think what happened was simply this. If Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel had begun to develop such a close relationship, that Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel would not bow down to those idols. So I believe Nebuchadnezzar kind of hid Daniel. Just told him to stay away from this whole episode. Now I can't quote you chapter and verse on that, but I think given what's transpired here in their relationship, that is a strong, strong possibility. Well, let's see what happens to these three men because they're kind of living the same kind of life that Daniel was living. Now, once again, we really see here the power that Nebuchadnezzar had. I mean, this guy could just, you know, make a command and it would automatically be, foul, be, 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 be fulfilled. This was a powerful, powerful king. Now, look what happens in verse 13 after these guys don't bow down to him, chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That they, then they brought these men before them. Now, before them. Now, look what happens. Go to verse 16. I love this. Now, think about this, people. Once again, these are young people. They're standing before one of the greatest of all world rulers. Now, look at their response in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those are their Babylonian names, by the way, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee, to answer thee in this matter. That is, they had given it a, little, a lot of thought. They were not trying to be disrespectful to the king. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that when we will that we will not serve the gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Once again, the obedience of these three young men. They expected God to deliver them, but if they did, if He did not, they were willing to what? To die for their convictions. And really, young people, that should be our attitude in the culture in which we find ourselves today. And many times God does give us deliverance. God does protect us. God does see us through in triumph. But on the other hand, there are going to be times 
when because of your willful stand of not defiling yourself in this culture, you will have persecution. It might mean on the job. It might mean losing a promotion. It might mean disrespect within your own family. Any number of things. But the issue for us young people is to be obedient. Well, you know the rest of the story, but I want to bring you down to verse 28. Obviously, they go in the fiery furnace. The angel of the Lord appears, who we probably think was a, was a, was a type of Christ at least. Nebuchadnezzar sees that the young men are not being burned up. He brings them out. Now watch verse 28, because I want, to see, I want you to see the progress this man is making in his relationship to the living God. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Well, he's not there yet, but at least he's to the point again where he respects their God and he respects them for being obedient to their own God. Okay, so what do we have so far? Daniel was faithful in his preparation. Daniel was obedient. Daniel was thankful. And here we see the three men also being obedient. Now let's move on. Daniel is now becoming older. Nebuchadnezzar is going into the latter part of his reign, okay? And in chapter 4, we have another vision. Now let me explain something to you about this chapter. This is what is so exciting about this book. Because right in the middle of the book of Daniel, we have a chapter that is not written by Daniel, but a chapter that is written by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Nebuchadnezzar writes the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, to really understand this chapter properly, what you need to do is to take verses 1, 2, and 3 and put them at the very end of the chapter. It should be verse 37, 1, 2, and 3. That really gives you the flow of what's going on here in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Well, once again, what happened? Nebuchadnezzar has a second vision. And this is the vision of the great tree with all the animals resting under it, okay? And once again, he cannot interpret this dream. All right, look at verse 9. O Belteshazzar, that's Daniel's, that's Daniel's Babylonian name, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit, this is wonderful, spirit of the holy gods is in thee. See, he's still not there. He's a polytheist. And, and no secret troubleth thee, Tell me the visions of my dreams that I have seen and the interpretation of it. Well, at least he knows where to go to get the answer. Okay? And then we see what happens beginning in verse 14. Now, if you follow along as I read this passage, okay? He cried aloud and said thus, 
Hew down the tree and cut off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let his beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know. Now watch. What is the, what is the purpose, once again, of this entire vision? And here it is. It's given again. That the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. Back to verse 2, chapter 2, verse 21, and verse 37 of that chapter. That the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. What's the Lord trying to get through to Nebuchadnezzar once again? That he is only there because of God's grace. Now watch verse 18. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, Declare the interpretation of it. For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Now here we have the interpretation. Go to verse 22. Daniel just cuts right through it all. It is, now once again, get the picture, you know. Daniel is a Jew. By this time he's probably prime minister. He's probably Nebuchadnezzar's closest advisor. But yet Nebuchadnezzar is this all powerful king. Look how Daniel answers him. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. For thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the ends of the earth. Okay? So Daniel comes right out and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are this tree. Then, then Daniel goes on to say what's going to happen in the prophecy. Look at verse 25 that they shall drive thee from man, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass like oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth. Here it is again. In the kingdom of men, get the picture, Nebuchadnezzar? The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Now, this is wonderful. Daniel gets done. And in verse 27, you begin to see this wonderful, close relationship that these two men have with each other. Look what Daniel does here, because Daniel knows what's going to happen. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar really understands the breadth of the prophecy. Okay? Look what Daniel says in verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break... Now imagine, look, think who he's talking to here. And break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor if there may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Daniel pleads with his friend to do righteous acts to govern the kingdom in such a way that the poor are treated justly. Well, what happens? I believe some time passes chronologically between verses 27 
and verses 28. I believe what, what you begin to see here unfolding in verse 28 is Nebuchadnezzar kind of at the end of his reign. But, but, but when I say that, I mean all of the great magnificent city of Babylon and the palace is now finished. With all of its magnificent hanging gardens. Do you realize that was the first air conditioning system of the world? That what Nebuchadnezzar did was to allow the gardens to hang down over the, over the openings of the windows in the palace and, there, and therefore the moisture that would be, in the, would be in those gardens, the wind would hit that moisture and blow that right into the palace. It was absolutely a magnificent palace and a magnificent city. You could drive six chariots abreast around the wall of the city of Babylon. Now you can see what exactly happened here in verse 28. And this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar, and at the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Now watch this, young people, because this, is your down, this can be your downfall as much as mine and as much as Nebuchadnezzar's. Look at verse 30. The king spoke and said, I imagine as he looked at all of his buildings, is not this great Babylon that, what's the next word? What's the next word? I have built for the house of this kingdom by the might of, what's the next word? My power and for the honor of my majesty. What did Daniel just told him? What has Daniel been trying to get across to him for 30 years? Nebuchadnezzar rules by the will of God, not by his own might and by his own power. And young people, that's precisely true for you and me. Whatever we have, whatever we do, it has nothing to do with our own strength and our own glibness and our own power. It has to do because God allows us that particular activity. And the tendency for all of us, especially in a, in a narcissistic culture today, is to take the credit for everything ourselves. That's even true in the Christian world, unfortunately. But that's not the message of this text. And that is not the message to Nebuchadnezzar. Look what happens. It's unbelievable. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. Verse 34. Or let me just read the next verse well. 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till the hairs were growing up like eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. Now, did you ever think about asking yourself the question, who ruled while Nebuchadnezzar was in this state? Why was there no palace coup? Why did not Nebuchadnezzar's son take over? I'll tell you why. Because Daniel ruled the kingdom. Daniel ruled as prime minister in the place of Nebuchadnezzar. Look what happens in verse 34. And at the end of the days, and I want you to catch this because this is the key to the whole, the whole morning. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. Oh, this is wonderful. And I praised and honored him who liveth forever. 
whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, and he, doeth, he doth, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What dost thou? And at the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom mine honor and my brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now follow along. Now let's go back and read the first three verses. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor and honor of the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Who walked in pride? Nebuchadnezzar. Now go back to verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the Most High hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs! How mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is everlasting. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. What's happened? Nebuchadnezzar has moved from a prideful polytheist to a converted king. Why? Because there was one man in his life that because he was prepared, he had faithfully prepared himself, he was obedient to God, he was thankful to God, that lived a life of integrity over 40 years in front of this man to the point where, De where Nebuchadnezzar gave his life to God. How do I know that? How could the Holy Spirit come upon a writer or come upon a person who was not a God-fearer? How could this chapter even be in the Word of God? Young people, listen to me. You've got relatives, you've got parents, you've got brothers and sisters who don't know Christ. You have friends who do not know Christ. You don't know God's timing. All you know is, is that God rules over the affairs of men. The call for us this morning is to live a life of integrity so that in God's timing, He can use you to fulfill His plan for your life. And thus you can have an impact on those around you. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity just to share these four chapters this morning. What a, what a great, great piece of Scripture. We thank you for the life of Daniel, probably the most consistent believer in all of Scripture. And Father, as I even look at his life in terms of my own life, I confess to you that I fall so far short in this area of living a life of integrity. And I confess that to you this morning. But, Father, you know my heart, and my heart is to be able to live this kind of a life as Daniel lived before you. And I pray for these young people today. That, Father, they might not know why they're even here or why they're preparing, but they need to understand that you are supreme in the affairs of men and that you have a reason for them to be here. And, therefore, they should strive to excellence in their preparation. And, God, help them as they go home to be thankful young people, to be thankful for their parents, and, lastly, to be able to live a life of obedience, to be able to will the will of God in their lives so that they might be able to resist this culture that so desperately seeks to defile them. 
thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the singing, for the worship, for the study of your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving.